long-suffering of God with us. And I, I can pick on my mom because she's not here today. She wasn't always patient with me. And I probably gave her many reasons to not be patient with me. But I can remember her saying things like, I better not have to tell you this again. Or don't make me count to three. Maybe your mom had to say those things to you as well. But I'm glad that God doesn't react in anger in the spur of the moment every time we let Him down. But that He does show us grace and patience. And He gives us opportunity after opportunity to turn from our sins, to repent, and to confess them to Him. And so we take time each morning uh, as we prepare for the message to give each of you an opportunity to confess any sin to ask the Lord to prepare your heart for worship. And this morning we will read from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 26 for our verses of confession. And then we will take a few moments in silent prayer asking God to search our hearts uh, to forgive us of our sins and to make us ready to receive His Word today. So the Bible says in Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 26, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases... His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. goes on to say, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's take a few moments to pray. Father, we thank You this morning that Your mercies are in fact new every morning. Lord, we need that daily grace and You supply it to us. And so Lord, we pray that You would forgive us of our transgressions, of our unbelief, and help us today to turn our eyes and our hearts and our hope towards heaven and to hear from You, Lord, as we preach and proclaim Your Word. Lord, help us today to be obedient to whatever it is that You call us to do as a result of this message. And Lord, again, we do thank You for mothers we thank you for uh, your design of the family for a man and a woman to be together and to start families. And Lord, each of us can say that we are grateful for that and for the life that we've been given. Lord, help us today to make everything that we do here about you. And we'll give you all the praise for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn with me today to the Old Testament book of Genesis. We're going to pause just for this week uh, from our series in 1 Peter. I apologize if you were waiting in 1 Peter uh, for me to bring the message there. I wanted to share a little bit something different for Mother's Day. Uh, a word of encouragement, but guys, please don't tune me out uh, because I believe this message will apply to both male and female. Uh, but the story is going to focus on a particular woman and a particular mother-to-be. And so we're going to look in Genesis chapter 16, and the title of the message today is A Wonderful Word to a Wandering Woman. A Wonderful Word to a Wandering Woman from Genesis 16. And I will ask you one last time, if you're able, to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Genesis chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. 
It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. Literally in the Hebrew, El Roy. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Father, again we thank you for your word. And we pray today that it would accomplish its purpose in our lives uh, and beyond. We love you and we thank you for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some of us will remember that in the 80s, the popularity of the waterbed. Did you have a waterbed? Anybody want to admit that they owned one of those waterbeds? Sometimes they were more trouble than they were worth. Amen? And so there is a story that a man awoke one evening from his sleep to a large puddle in the middle of his bed. And so he decided that he would take the waterbed outside fill it back up, and be able to locate where the leak was coming from. So after a lot of wrestling and pulling, he got this massive balloon full of water, which is basically what they were, out into the yard. uh, And he was attempting to fill it up. And the more he drug it, the more holes that he poked in the thing so that it looked like a sprinkler by the time he was finished. And finally he got fed up and he chucked it in the trash and he took the bed frame and chucked it in the trash and he went out and bought him a nice new mattress that was not a waterbed. And the very next night, he awoke to a puddle of water in his bed when he discovered that it was the bathroom upstairs leaking, not in fact the waterbed. And I use that story to illustrate that there are oftentimes where we perceive one thing to be a problem, and instead the problem is something else uh, that we didn't recognize. So as we look at our text today, we are going to look at the story of a woman who was mistreated uh, and had a problem over here and so she attempts to run from that problem only to find that she couldn't run away from it but God would find her nonetheless so when we think about trials all of us can relate we all understand that in this life for the believer as well as the unbeliever we are going to face trials they are unavoidable and probably one of the greatest texts 
in the New Testament that speaks to trials is from the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James writes there, and I always kind of smile when I read this first part of the verse. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I have a hard time responding to my trials with joy, do you? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. Let steadfastness have its full effect or be complete, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James tells us that we should count our trials a joyful thing in the sense that they are producing and provoking something in us. It's not that we sit around, at least I don't, I don't, maybe you do, I don't think you do, and pray for trials. We're not excited at the thought of trials entering our lives. But trials will. Notice it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Not if, but when you meet trials. So we know that they're coming, and while we don't joyfully want them, when they come, we can still have our joy because... They are provoking something in us and they are producing something in us. Trials provoke a reaction, do they not? When something bad happens in our life, we will respond in some way. And the response is often an accurate gauge of our spiritual condition. Sometimes we respond with fear. Sometimes we respond with anger. But very seldom, I think, do we respond as we are told to with joy. Because we don't look at the trial in the moment as being something beneficial. We value our comfort. We value our security. And we want that to return. We ask God to remove the trial from our life rather than asking Him to grow us in the trial. So it provokes a reaction which is a good barometer of where we are at spiritually. But they have a purpose. They are not just mindless or senseless we often feel that way don't we we often feel as though these things keep happening sometimes they seem to happen one after the other and we wonder when this is ever going to end and we sometimes ask God what what is going on here what are you trying to show me what are you trying to teach me well the scripture tells us that there is a purpose behind them he is producing patience I don't want patience I want comfort Well, God wants us to have patience because patience will do far more for your spiritual walk and for the kingdom of God than your comfort will. Comfort, as a matter of fact, will hinder you more in your spiritual walk than a trial will. We like the comfort, but the comfort often holds us back from submitting and trusting God the way we ought to. It produces patience and it grows us in maturity. We mature through those things. But in that, in that portion of Scripture and all throughout the Bible, we see God saying over and over and over to us, wait. Wait on the Lord. I waited patiently on the Lord. That's not our favorite word, is it? We don't like wait. We like hurry up. Hurry up. That's the society that we live in. Instant gratification. If we pull into the drive-thru and it takes more than 30 seconds, we are mad. I can't imagine some of you older ladies, or maybe some of you younger ladies too that were mothers, 
You cooked all day, especially on Sunday. Sunday was the day where you made a big meal and you worked in the kitchen for a long time. Man, today we, we think 30 seconds, if that's not on the, uh, from, you know, from the fridge to the table, it's been way too long. You know, and so we, we struggle with patience in our instant gratification society. But God is in no hurry. He doesn't need to be. And He wants us to learn to trust Him. If He says wait, His timing will be meticulous when He gives that answer. And so James gives us an understanding of trials. But even with that understanding, it can be difficult for us to put it into proper practice. So I want us to look at this this woman, this mother today named Hagar, who was going through a difficult trial. Uh, she had been asked to be a mother, uh, to have a, an heir for Abram. And so she goes in at the command of her servant Sarah, or her maiden Sarah. And then, after the fact, she is basically chastised for doing so. And she is fleeing from the presence of Sarah And that's where I want us to pick up in verse 7 that we read a few moments ago. And I want us to see a few things that I think are very encouraging for us. Not just for ladies today, but for all of us. The lessons we can learn about the Lord and what kind of a God we serve. She had run, verse 6 tells us, that she had ran uh, and fled from Sarah's harsh dealings. And look at what verse 7 says to us. The angel of the Lord found her i'm glad this morning that god is a god who seeks people that god is not lost we were lost and he came searching for us i understand that there comes a point in the time where we have to call upon the lord where we have to exercise repentance and faith but that was not at our own initiative there is none that seeks god the bible says We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are content to live a life without God until He comes seeking us, convicting us, and drawing us. We would never search Him out. But He certainly seeks us out. And we see that He does so for Hagar. She was despised by her owner, if you will, and Sarah. And she could have easily been forgotten. No one else would have noticed if Hagar never was seen again. But God cared. He cared about her. He cared about her problems. And while she was fleeing from Sarah, she couldn't flee from the presence of God. I'm glad that even out in the wilderness, even tucked away alone from the human eyes, she wasn't hidden from the eye of God. And you may be here today, or you may have experienced a time in your life where you felt that problems were just too much and you just needed to get away. You just needed to start over again. That things were just reached a point in your life where they were so difficult and this was just going to be your lot in life and things were never going to change for you and that you were just fed up and you were finished. And you isolate yourself and you get alone and you have those moments where you need to just cry a little bit and maybe have a little bit of a pity party. We all get to those places sometimes. But in those places, God is seeking He is searching for you. He cares 
about you. We see here in verse 7 a picture uh, of what is called a theophany or a Christophany. It is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. I believe that when the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, it is in fact none other than the pre-incarnate Jesus Himself. And He comes and He finds Hagar and He is going to have a conversation with her. And I believe that God speaks to us through His Word today and He gives us promises just like He gave to Hagar in this story. So look with me at verse 8. He asked a question of her, and I think it's an important question that we ponder for ourselves today. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? God didn't ask that question because He needed an answer. God is all-knowing. He knew where she came from and He knew where she was going. He was asking the question to spur an introspective response. He wanted Hagar to consider that for herself. He wasn't asking for information. He was asking so that she might search herself. And I think that's an important question that we ask for our own benefit. Where have we come from? Where are we going? The answer to that question will be vastly different for the believer and for the unbeliever. As believers, I can tell you where I came from. I can tell you who I was before I met Jesus. And I can tell you that He found me. He found me dead in my sin. He found me in a place where He very easily could have said, I don't want anything to do with you. But He didn't leave me in my sin. And I can tell you because of Him and Him alone, where I'm going now as a result. It's all by the grace of God. And every single one of you who claim the name of Christ should have a testimony that says, I can tell you who I was before Jesus. I can tell you how He found me. And I can tell you, praise God, where He's got me going. The, the, great, the great hymn writer John Newton, who wrote many hymns, the most popular of which is Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton never forgot who he was and where he was coming from when Jesus found him on that slave ship and who he turned him into and who he was going to become ultimately in Christ. What a wonderful testimony we have. But I worry for you today that are here or you that are watching online that don't know Jesus. You can certainly tell me where you've come from. And many times it's a struggle to just come to church. And I'm thankful today that if you're an unbeliever and you're watching or you're here, that you chose to be in church today. We don't look at unbelievers here with condemnation, with disdain, with self-righteousness. Because we were all in the same place that you are in today. We've all been there, regardless our sins may be different, but we were all dead in our sins. We were all sinners in need of grace. We understand where we came from, and you know where you came from. Perhaps even last night you were places that you shouldn't have been or have guilt about this morning being at. You too have to think about where you're going. Where are you going? Not just in life, but for eternity. Where are you going? The Bible gives that answer. In John 3.36, I know I don't have this scripture referenced, but I'll just quote it to you. It basically says, He who believes is not condemned. 
And he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name the only begotten Son of God. God's wrath abides on him. That's a dangerous place to be in. It's the reality for every single one of us until we meet Christ. And if you haven't turned to Jesus today, it is the reality still for you. You need to think about that question. Where have you come from? And where are you going? There was a story of a missionary who brought some missionaries back to the States with him from Africa. And it was their first time in America and they were in the big city of Manhattan. And he wanted to allow them a little liberty to go around and see the city, but he was also concerned that they could very easily get lost. And so he explained to them, this was back in the days of payphones, and he said, if you happen to get lost, here's a quarter, put it in the payphone and call me. I will be here in the hotel room, call me, and then go to the corner and tell me what the street sign says, and I will be able to find out where you are and come and get you. And so it was about an hour later and the phone rang and it was one of these African missionaries. And he said, I am absolutely lost. I don't know where I am. And the man said, put the phone down, go look at the street sign, come back and tell me what it says. And he did just that. And when he came back, he said, the sign says that I am at the corner of walk and don't walk. (laughs) I've been at that corner before. Sometimes it's hard to know if God wants us to go this way or not to go that way. It can often be difficult when we think about where have we come from and where are we going. Sometimes we are saved, but we're not quite sure where God is taking us or where He wants us to go. And we go back to that word that I mentioned earlier, wait. And we say, I don't want to wait. I want to walk. And the sign keeps flashing, don't walk. Or maybe I don't want to walk and it's saying walk. God will often take us places that we don't willingly, at least at first, want to go to. But when we submit and surrender to Him, we will find that He will always provide and He will always protect when He calls us. I want you to see this because we want to be just like Hagar and run from the problem. She ran from what she perceived to be the the issue in Sarah and she fled. God seeks her out. He understands the problems. He cares. He asks a pointed question to get her to consider things a little bit deeper, to move beyond just the problem and to ask in the big picture, in the long term, where have you come from and where are you going? And then notice what he says to her in verse 9. The angel of the Lord, this pre-incarnate Christ, gives her basically two words that I'm sure at first she wasn't thrilled to hear. Return to your mistress and submit to her. Go back to where you just ran out of and then submit to the one that's causing you all the problems, at least in your mind. Not the answer that she was hoping to get, I'm sure. And God often gives us answers that we are not thrilled about either. The trials come. They're not senseless. We struggle sometimes in those trials, but they are a good barometer of our spiritual health. We need to take notice of those reactions, not just blow them off. If our reactions are not biblical, we need to seek God to help us, strengthen us, to have a biblical response, to have faith, 
to be able to know that God is still God, whether it's in the valley or on the mountaintop. We can trust Him. To know that it's working something in us, that His timing is perfect. He's not in a hurry, but He's never late. We can trust Him. And then He may give us a response that at first we don't understand, that we're not excited about, but it's always right. If you're in sin, if you're confused, if you're tired this morning, wherever you're at, you can trust that God is perfect in His answer. Return and submit. The word return carries with it the idea of repentance. To turn. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. Oftentimes we need to repent of sin, of unbelief, many things in our life. It's just a turn. For the sinner, it is a turning from your sin to Christ. For the believer, it may be a return to Him because you have strayed. Because you have allowed other things to pull at you. But it's always the right response to return to the Lord and then to submit. That word submit is a military term. Some of you served in the military understand that there is ranks and there is authority. And that word carries that to be placed under someone. Return and submit, he says to Hagar. Psalm 37, 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. That word commit, picture this in your mind. It's, it's got a, a word picture to it. Picture a stone being pushed along or pushed down a hill. That is what that word means. Some other force is guiding you along. Commit your way to the Lord. All of us have plans. All of us have dreams. All of us have ideas of where we want our lives to go and where we want them to end up. Do you trust God when He takes you in another direction? Or will you try to force your way? You try to force your will. This was my plan, God. This is what I always dreamed. This is what I always wanted. You're supposed to allow my dreams to come true. That sounds more like a genie than a God. We have to trust Him, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense, and even when it's not what we wanted. I'll be honest with you. I didn't ask to be a pastor. I didn't go to my guidance counselor in high school and say, what do I need to do to be a pastor? It was not on my top 1,000 list. Because I didn't care about God, and I didn't care about church, and I certainly didn't care about this. But God called after I was saved, and I had to make a choice. Do I keep trying to go my way, or do I follow His way? And I followed His way, and He has never failed. But every time I've tried to follow my way, I've made a mess of things more times than I could admit. You see, our way may sound good to us, but it lacks God's power, protection, and provision. And if it lacks those three things, it will be far more of a struggle than to go the difficult way with Him and see His hand in everything that you do. In everything that you do, you can trust Him. Elizabeth Elliot who I encourage you, especially you ladies, anything that you can find by Elizabeth Elliot, you should read it. Elizabeth Elliot um, 
They made a movie several years ago called The End of the Spear. I don't know if any of you have seen that about her husband, Jim Elliott. He was a missionary that went to an island where there were cannibals, basically, uh, and was killed a few days upon arriving uh, as a missionary there. And uh, she has written many things, many wonderful things, and she has gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago. But she said this, Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. I'm going to say that again. Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. We give ourselves far more credit than, than we deserve. We are really not as necessary as we think we are. God is in control. All authority has been given to Him. He graciously allows us to be not just a part of His creation, but a part of His kingdom work. But He will call us and He will use us as He sees fit. We just simply need to submit to Him. And then in verse 10, He says to her, not only that, but I will leave you with promises. Aren't you glad that God makes promises to us and He keeps those promises? God has never failed to follow through on any promise He has ever made to one of His children. Never once. And we read those promises. Uh, I won't read the whole text to her again, but He says, I will surely multiply your offspring. He tells her the the son will be born named Ishmael. He gives some details about that. But I really want us to focus in, uh, again, in spite of these promises, verse 9 is really the key. It's that hinge. I always tell you there's a hinge that things depend on. He says, return and submit. Now, she could have said, well, I'm not going to do that, God, because I just got out of that mess, and I'm not going back to that mess. So we're going to have to figure out another way. And she would have missed out on many of the blessings that awaited her had she not been faithful to what God said. But we have to ask ourselves this question. When we are struggling in life, when we are facing a trial, do we believe that God is bigger than our circumstance? Is God bigger than our circumstance? Of course He is, and we know that. But again, as I said when we began, the trial will provoke a response in our lives. And when we sit in here on Sunday, it's easy to say, yes, God is bigger than my circumstance. But on Monday, when we've forgotten this message and we're not gathered around other believers and we're all alone with our thoughts, it's easy to think this trial is bigger than I can handle and maybe it's bigger than God can handle. Because I've sure been praying and I'm not getting any answers. So maybe He has forgotten me. Maybe He doesn't care. Maybe I'm the exception to the rule where He's not going to come and help me out. He is a God who sees. Charles Stanley said this. He said, Oftentimes God demonstrates His faithfulness in adversity by providing for us what we need to survive. He does not change our painful circumstance. He sustains us through them. Again, we want out of the trial when God is doing something in the trial. We want to speed up the process when God is working and waiting in His time to make something of us. He's not just interested in changing your circumstance. He's interested in changing you. And that is what we fail to grasp. And that is why sometimes I believe we have to go through trials multiple times to learn the lesson. God is bigger than our circumstance. And we amen that on Sunday and forget it on Monday. But it doesn't change regardless of the day. Because God doesn't change. And I want to close with verse 13. This is the encouraging thing of this text. There's many encouraging things. But think about this. Up until this point, the focus has been God seeing Hagar. God speaking to Hagar. 
Now we see in verse 13 that she speaks to him and she sees God. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. God saw me, but now I see God. It's a wonderful thing when God finds us. It's a wonderful thing when it blooms faith in our life so that we can see Him and we can trust Him. And sometimes that has to happen quite frequently in our lives. We need to be reminded of the goodness of God. We need to be reminded of the promises of the Word for us. We need to understand the privilege that we have as believers. That we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it, but God is faithful to us because He made a covenant with His people. And He will keep that covenant. The great preacher from years ago, A.T. Pearson, uh, you'll hear me talk about Charles Spurgeon all the time. A.T. Pearson was a close friend of Charles Spurgeon, preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon pastored many times and actually preached Charles Spurgeon's funeral. He said this, There is a vast difference in the point of view from which circumstances are regarded. Think about this. If they come between us and God, they may hide us from God. If the circumstance is bigger than God, it will certainly hide us from God, is what he's saying. If He, God, comes between the circumstance and us, then He may hide them from us. When our eyes are on God and not the circumstance, God will shelter and shield us so that we are not focused in unbelief. We are not focused in discomfort. Our focus is on Him alone, and He will see us through the trial. But when we focus on the trial, we will quickly forget to look to Him, and the trial will be magnified in our life. It's the perspective that we view things with that matters. Psalm 33, 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him on those who hope in His steadfast love. I'm thankful today that God sees us. That can be a scary thing at times. It should be a frightening thing if you're lost, that God sees all and knows all. And even for the believer, it ought to cause us to consider our walk. We've talked a lot about holiness. And one of the things that ought to spur us on to holiness is to know that God sees us at all times and knows our thoughts and our ways and our words. But I think about the text that we opened with uh, for our confession verse. And I think about what it must have been like for Hagar to be sitting there in the wilderness, confused, frightened, for a woman that's pregnant to be out alone was a death sentence. She certainly would have either been sold into slavery, abused, killed, but it wouldn't have went well for her at that point. But God saw her, and God showed up, and God knew what was best for her. And I bet that she could say what Jeremiah said in the book of Lamentations. Even in the midst of a horrific scene for, for him to go back, and we read about the book of Lamentations, to see the city destroyed and the terrible things that had happened with his people. And yet we read those encouraging words that I read to you in verse 24 of chapter 3 of Lamentations says, The Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. Whatever you're facing today, and you maybe you're not facing anything today, well, the trial will come. 
It's been promised. You know that all too well. But can you say this morning that the Lord is your portion? That He is enough? Oh, there may be things that you desire in your life. God, I need this. God, I want this. God, if I just had that. And there's nothing wrong with seeking after other things as long as they take their right position. But when they become the ultimate in our life, we have made them idols. We have replaced God with things. And when God is our portion, doesn't He say, doesn't Jesus say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you? If you put Him first and you seek Him and He is enough, He will make sure that you have the things that you need. Not always the things that you want, but the things that you need. And He will always be enough. He has promised us that He will be with us until the end of the age, that He never leave us, and that we can rest in Him. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come. And as they're coming, I want you to think about Hagar's life. And I want you to think about her circumstances, and I want to think about your own life. And I want you to consider this, that no matter where you are this morning when you came through these doors, God sees you. He knows your struggles. He knows your needs. He knows you better than you know you. Have you ever thought about that? The very God that created you knows you. He's numbered the very hairs on your head. There is nothing about your life that is hidden from Him. Will you submit to Him? Will you return to Him? Will you trust Him? If you're carrying a burden that has been crushing you as of late, lay it down. Peter says, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. That literally means to throw your cares on Him. Take those things and chuck them out onto the Lord. But here's the thing. For many of us, tonight is garbage night. And I've said this before. But all of us wheel that trash out to the curb. And then we come inside. And when we come out the next day, it's, hopefully it's gone. Right? When we place our sins, our burdens, our cares on Christ, He'll take, he'll take them away. He'll carry them away. The problem is, we want to lay them down, and then 15 minutes later, we tiptoe back over and make sure they're still there, and we pick them back up. How ridiculous would it be if you took the garbage out tonight, and then about 1 in the morning, you got worried, and you went out and wheeled it back in the house? It, we laugh, but we do the same thing with our life with Christ. Here's my sin. Here's my burdens. And then we take it back. Lay them down. And leave them with Him. Trust that He will do what is right in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for the example that You left us in the life of Hagar. We thank You for Your faithfulness to her. And not just to her, but to Sarah and Abraham as well. Lord, that You did exactly as You promised You would do for them. And You will for us. So as we... Give this invitation, Lord. It's my prayer that the lost would come home, the backslider would return, that the struggling saint would find peace and comfort today that they have in Christ, and that we would leave here today rejoicing, Lord, joyful in our trials, expectant with hope, knowing that you are the God who sees and who cares. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, if you need to come, the altar is open. I'd be glad to pray with you. But don't wait. Don't put it off any longer. So.